Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats moored by the land, and fishermen had gone ashore and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, it was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. Then he sat down in the boat and began to teach the crowd. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deeper water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, replied Simon, we were working hard all night and caught nothing at all. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they came and filled both boats, and they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Go away, he said. Leave me, Lord, I'm a sinner. He and all his companions were gripped with amazement at the catch of fish they had taken. This included James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Don't be afraid, said Jesus to Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. They brought the boats into land, then they abandoned everything and followed him. Good morning. This morning we're going to be continuing our study of lessons, a series of lessons that we've been working through this summer. You might remember at the beginning of the summer we started with a series of lessons called Seaside Stories, and we were looking at some of the more... Um, well-known and a few lesser-known stories that took place on the seaside. We've moved from the seaside to the sea proper as we've looked at this series of lessons, which we've entitled Same Storm, Different Ship, and looking at stories that took place on the water in the Bible and drawing from those some applications and conclusions, some ideas that we can take and uh, put into practice in our own life. I hope this series has been a blessing to you. It's been a, a real blessing to us and in preparing it and planning it and something that I know has, uh, has caused uh, myself and, and Bishop to, uh, to spend a lot of time studying some stories that maybe we wouldn't have looked at as closely and gained some insight that we might not have had before. Three different times this morning we've uh, included in our lead up, our worship time, readings from the gospel accounts, from Matthew, from Mark, and from Luke. And they all tell the story of Peter, James, and John, and they're being called by Jesus. This last account, the one that is from the Gospel of Luke, gives us the most detail, and it tells the story of the great catch of fish that immediately preceded Peter, James, and John being added to the disciples, among the first of the disciples, the apostles that Jesus would entrust his earthly ministry to when, with his lifetime and upon his return to heaven, would leave them to continue his legacy, his work. The work, the legacy that is existing right now in this very room as we are together the people of God, the church that was being established in these early, most embryonic moments of Jesus' ministry. What I want to do this morning is I want to take just a moment and, and give a, a retelling of this story with some of the details, explaining some of the things that are taking place behind the scenes, maybe some things that would be unknown to us, look a little bit at some of the language and some, some Greek terms that help us to get a better insight into this, and then I want to give you three points, three ideas from this story that I think are really important, not only for understanding the story, but maybe even more so. For you and I, in understanding our relationship with Jesus today, 
three applications that I think you will be blessed with if you take time to apply them over the course of the next week. The first thing we see here is that we've got these fishermen. And these fishermen here along the side of the, uh, along the, the seashore are, are doing the tedious, tiring work of repairing, mending, cleaning their nets after a long and what we find out later to be very fruitless night on the sea working. Now, I don't know if you've had a day like this. I say that positively because I know you have had a day like this. Maybe I should say, I don't know if you had a day like this last week, but we've all had a day where we felt very fruitless at our job. We've all had a day where we felt like we worked really hard, we, we, we just really spun our wheels and accomplished nothing, we just didn't get anything done, there, there was no satisfaction to our labor, we just came home that night just feeling like, I just want this day to end. It has been a fruitless day. It's a day that's provided me nothing more than frustration and exhaustion, I'm just done. I just want this day to be finished. You know, I think in some ways, Peter, Simon, as he's more commonly called here, and his brother, Andrew, would be able to say, I relate to that. And I think if they were here today, they'd say, this was a day like that. We fished all night, and we have nothing to show for it except calluses on our hands and, and soreness in our back and exhaustion in our souls. That's how they felt, and that was the kind of day they were having. They... they are introduced to us in this story as partners with another set of brothers, Simon and, 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 uh, and Andrew, uh, along with uh, the Zebedee brothers, James and John. James and John and their dad, Zebedee. And how it is that these guys were all pseudo-business partners. Now, they weren't business partners because they wanted to be necessarily. The weird thing that we don't understand unless we dig this back into the historical context a little bit, and to be honest, I knew nothing about this before this week, and it was a very interesting little insight to me. During this period of time, we have what is historically called the Great Galilean Famine. And there was a period of time for about 18 years that there was a decrease in the rainfall, the vegetation was dying, and because of that, there was was also a decrease in the fishing. The people were literally at the point of being worried about starvation. And so the governor stepped in and kind of took charge of the entire fishing industry. And he basically said, get rid of competition, get rid of pricing, and I'm going to just fix the price. Everybody's on the same team. Your job is to go out and fish, get all the fish you can, bring them back, collectively put them together so that we can feed the populace. And so Peter and John and uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, would have normally been in competition. But here they're kind of in partnership because, well, the governor kind of made it that way. It wouldn't have been particularly what any of them would have wanted. But it would have been what was necessary in the moment. The other thing that's lost to us, just in the English translation here, is there are some Greek words that are very interesting. For example, one of them is that Simon at this time, uh, we are going to learn, he's, he's kind of a younger novice fisherman. He and Andrew uh, are, are not really as established in their fishing business. Zebedee is the big fishing business in town. And these are kind of the upstarts. One of the things that, that it tells us is that they used an amphiboliston, which I know you all know exactly what that is, but it's a small casting net. It said that he had a small casting net. So I want you to take this picture with me for a moment. You've got Simon Peter, you've got Andrew, who are younger, upstart, beginning their fishing careers. They're in a really small boat. They have really small nets. That's going to be important for our story later on, because that's going to be in contrast to what we see with James and John. James and John, a little farther down the beach there, they've got a great big boat. 
They've got a boat that can traverse the, the Sea of Galilee back and forth right across the middle, whereas Peter and Andrew would have just kept right along to the shore. These guys could go out into any water as deep as they wanted, as far as they wanted. And not only that, but they used the big Ditkos net, which is kind of like the, uh, the old quarterback, uh, the old uh, tight end for the Bears. Every time I see that, I think of Ditka. But they used the Ditkos nets, these huge nets, massive nets that could, could go out into the depths and, and collect huge numbers of fish. You see the contrast? Inexperienced, small boat, small net. Simon, Andrew. Experienced, Zebedee, longtime fisherman. Experienced on the water, big boat, big nets, big resources, big opportunities. They're out there, all with one shared similar experience. Big boat didn't catch anything, little boat didn't catch anything. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's disappointed. And here into their miserable morning of putting these nets together comes this big, huge throng of people following a Jewish rabbi down to the seashore. A man, Jesus, who begins to talk to this crowd and is pressed upon by this crowd. The crowd pushing in on him so that he's backed up literally to the edge of the sea itself. And finally, reaches over and shouts out that he needed their help. Before we go to their help, let's take a look at this traveling rabbi for just a moment. Jesus of Nazareth, he's called. He's still early in his ministry at this point. He's becoming more and more well-known. But we think sometimes of Jesus in his early days as, as celebratorily, victoriously moving from city to city and, and having throngs of people around him. But the reality is much different. The reality is that he had been through heartache after heartache after disappointment after fear already in his short ministry. It wasn't very long ago that he met with Satan entangled for 40 days of fasted exhaustion in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. Now, I've never gone 40 days without food. I don't know that I've ever gone 40 hours without food. That's not true, but it's been very rare that I've gone 40 hours without food. And I can tell you, it get, I would imagine you get very weak. He had just subjected himself to 40 days without food, 40 days of wrangling in the wilderness with Satan. And he came off of that and very shortly found news that his cousin, best friend, and forerunner, John the Baptist, had been arrested, knowing what's going to happen to John very soon. That was then followed by Jesus, this rabbi, this traveling teacher, going back to his own hometown, the place where he grew up, the place where his dad's carpenter shop was, the place where he learned his skill, and being invited to speak in the synagogue only to have the people turn in such rage at him that they chased him out of the synagogue, chased him up to the top of a cliff, and were about to throw him off to his death. You know, when you think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it wasn't victorious, celebratory parade. It was already a time of hardship and difficulty. It's no wonder that later he would be called man of sorrows because he was already hard-pressed. So back to the boats. This traveling rabbi comes down and no doubt these young fishermen are pretty much annoyed by the scene. Not only do they have to do their work, but now they've got this huge crowd around them. And then to top it off, Jesus, this rabbi, calls over to him and says, Hey, come here, fellas. Come here, fellas. I need your help. I need your help. Now, you see, one thing we've got to remember is in those days, in that culture, you had this etiquette. 
you had this etiquette. It was called honoris signum. Honoris signum. And what it meant was that there were people that you respected and people that you listened to, even if you were tired, exhausted, spent the whole night fishing for no good. And if they were a person of age or a person of status, they, you owed them respect. And so you did what was asked of you. You did what was asked of you. And so Jesus said, I need you. I need you to put me in this boat. I need you to push me out to, to sea just a little bit so that I can speak to these people without them thronging up against me and pressing upon me. And so these exhausted young fishermen coming off a fruitless night, they just want their day to end, and Jesus now interrupts their mending of their nets and their final duties to push them out, and they become unwitting audience members in a wonderful sermon that we have no record of. We don't know exactly what he taught to the people that day. We don't know exactly what the words were that he spoke to the crowd, but we do know this. Those young men in the boat, they heard it. They heard the story. They heard the lesson. Isn't it interesting that he chose them? Isn't it interesting that Jesus chose them? Especially knowing what he knew. Especially knowing what he was going to do. He chose the two younger, inexperienced fishermen with the tiny little boat when he could have chosen the big, luxurious boat with much more comfort and much more space and a much more experienced crew. And by the way, which would have been much more awe-inspiring by the crowd. But he doesn't see things the way we see things. Those final teachings... Sorry. Now we go. Those final teachings there that he gave, though unknown to us, were very impactful to these men. Jesus, at some point, finishes that sermon to the crowd, dismisses the crowd, and turns his attention to these young men in the boat with him. And in the course of their conversation, he discovers that they'd been out working all night and they hadn't caught anything at all. He begins to understand how frustrated and disappointed they are. <clears throat> and then he does something that just absolutely astonishes everybody. He, a traveling rabbi, carpenter's son, gives advice to fishermen about how to fish. Now, I know some of you in here are fishermen, and I know how you would probably respond to some carpenter telling you how to go about catching fish. And we can, we can assume that these guys probably felt similarly about that. But there are some things here that are very interesting. Because not only does Jesus say, hey, let's go and fish. He says, I want you and your little bitty boat with your tiny little net and your inexperienced sailors to take me out into the deepest part of the water. Jesus, that's not where this boat goes. And even Jesus, if we did go out where that water is, that's not where this net works. And frankly, Jesus, we're not all that experienced to be in that kind of place, especially not in this kind of boat. No, no, no. What you needed to do, Jesus, is you need to go back and get in the Zebedee boat. You need to go over here and you need to get in the big Zebedee boat because it's a big boat and it's experienced sailors and it's big nets and you can go out into the depths. You can go as far as you want. You can go anywhere you want. You see, we have this picture of Jesus choosing the wrong boat with the wrong crew and the wrong equipment. But you see, Jesus was never concerned about the boat. He was never concerned about the nets. He was concerned about the people. And he had in his sights exactly who he wanted. And that was Simon. 
Well, the inexperienced crew take the small boat and the tiny nets and they do go out to the depths of the water. And there Peter tried one more time to please try to explain to Jesus that this isn't the way this works, Jesus. This isn't the way you fish. But since you asked me to, I will. And no sooner had he thrown that little bitty net into that great vast ocean of a sea that they, we had this massive collection of fish that's so great that they began shouting madly for the big boat, for the big crew, for the experienced group, for the big nets to come and join them. And this little bitty tiny boat floundering out in a place where it should never have been in the first place, taking in fish far beyond what its tiny little nets could hold, almost to the point of sinking, is now being rescued by a bigger boat. And that load is so big that it is burdening and even beginning to sink that big boat. A catch of fish unlike anything that has ever been seen since and before. And Simon, he gets it. He gets it. This isn't a carpenter who has a lucky place to throw down a net. Falling down before Jesus, he says, you need to get away from me, Jesus. I'm filthy. You know what's so interesting to me is whenever it is that, 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 that people come in contact with, come in under understanding of, come in realization of the greatness of God, one of the very first things that we see in them is that they recognize how unlike God they are. You, God, are something great, and I am not. Isaiah had an experience like that. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He had this vision of God, and God came down to him in the smoke of the incense and the train of his garment, just the backside of his garment that rolled on the ground was so big that it filled the whole temple. And he looks up into this vision of heaven, and he sees the angels as they're surrounding the Lord on his throne, and they're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. They're covering their eyes with their wings. They're covering their feet with their wings. They're flying with their wings. And he's in the midst of this, completely overwhelmed, completely... What's he say? I'm undone. God, I have a terrible mouth. And I'm in the presence of God. Peter says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be here. You're great and I'm not. But you know what? Jesus knew exactly who he was coming for. And he wasn't coming for fish. And he wasn't coming for the right boat, and he wasn't coming for the right net, and he wasn't coming for the right mission of catching fish. He was coming for the right person. And Jesus has a way of doing that. He gets it from his dad, because his father's had a way of doing that. Let's take a look real quickly as we close at three C's. And I could make a little joke here about sea, like Sea of Galilee, but I'm not going to do that because that's a dad joke that would just insult your uh, intelligence. And besides, now that I've hinted it, you're already reeling through all the jokes that I would make, and so you're telling the joke for me. Three C's, three C's that I want to conclude with today, three points of application from this story that I think are really poignant for your life and my life today. Here's the first one. Challenge. Challenge. I want you to put yourself in the place of, of young Simon here, this, this young upstart fisherman, and this rabbi who comes in and says, I want you to take me out there. You know what's funny about this is he doesn't use the Greek word for deep water. There's a word for deep water. He doesn't say the deep water. He says bathos. Bathos, which is a spiritual word. It means chaos. What's he saying? Jesus says, hey, you, inexperienced sailor in a little bitty boat, I want you take me, I want you to take me to the deep, dark, scary places. 
I want you to take me to the deep, dark, scary places. In essence, he's saying, I want you to take me where you can't go. I want you to take me where you don't belong. I want you to take me where you cannot be successful. But I'll be with you. I think that's very fitting, because if you look at Peter's life from this point forward, he is continually in the bathos. He's continually in the deep, dark, scary places that he can't possibly survive without Jesus. But that's the same Jesus that said, I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you, I'm going to be with you. Yeah, yeah, Simon, your little boat can't go there. That's the deep, dark, scary place, but I'm in the boat. He could have made excuses, Peter. He could have given all the reasons. He could have said, no, here's why that won't work, here's why you shouldn't do that. People have been giving excuses to God for as long as people have been talking to God. Moses, Moses said, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not an eloquent man, neither now nor since you've spoken to me. I am slow of speech and I am slow of tongue, Exodus 4. What about Gideon? Gideon in Judges 6. Gideon said to God, but Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Just look, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my clan. Gideon says, God, look at me. I'm the smallest in my family. My family's the smallest in the clan. My, my clan is the smallest in Manasseh. Manasseh's the smallest of the tribes. Who am I? Excuses, excuses. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 6. Oh, sovereign Lord, really, I do not know how to speak well enough to do that. I'm too young. What's amazing is Peter didn't make excuses. Peter didn't make excuses. Peter said, you, you, you want to get in my boat? You want to go out into the crazy, dark, scary places? Okay. My friends, when Jesus climbs into the boat of your life, when he climbs into the boat of my life with a challenge, and he says, Jeff, take me to the deep, dark, scary places. Do I Gideon, Moses, Jeremiah, and say all the reasons why I can't? Or do I do like Peter and say, are you going with me? Let's go. See number two. Catch. See number two. Catch. Peter came into this moment. I know he had to be fearful. I know he had to be concerned and worried. This is not the situation that he was supposed to be in. This is not a circumstance that he's supposed to be in. There had to be all kinds of worry. Lack of experience, lack of the right boats, lack of the right nets but he still was willing to push through his discomfort to do what was asked of him. And that's really exactly what we see continuing to happen. When Jesus did that, when Jesus exceeded the expectations of what Peter could have possibly imagined this to be, he's just doing what his dad's been doing for the entire time he's had human history. His father's been continually exceeding the expectations of people. And the son does exactly the same thing. He says to Peter, I know you're not qualified to take me there, but I'll go with you and we'll overcome whatever fear and insecurity you have. It's a lot like Amos. Amos replied to the kings, we'll provide the power you need. Do you find yourself making excuses with all the reasons why you can't? I'm too busy. Somebody else could do it better. There's somebody else more qualified. It's not where I'm at. This isn't the stage of my life for that. See, Peter could have done all that. But instead, he was too busy catching fish. And we should be too. Finally, the last one. Quickly. The third C is confession. The third C is confession. Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
As we said, we know that when we see perfection, we realize that we are so far from it. It's a terrible and frightening thing to be in the presence of a glorious and profoundly beautiful God. But Jesus answers him in a beautiful way. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Peter says, go away from me. He says, don't, don't be afraid. Are you sitting in your guilt? Looking at a God who's perfect and saying, go away from me. Are you sitting in your shame? And looking at a God that is so perfect and that is frightening. And you say, just, just, I'm undone. Go away from me. And in the same way that he said those comforting words to Peter, he says those comforting words to you. Don't be afraid. We're going to go catch men together. You've been catching fish, Peter. We're going to go catch men together. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just follow me. Don't be afraid. Just come with me. You know, that's the reality for us is when we confess those same words, when we confess that same reality to Jesus Christ. I don't deserve this, God. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve a relationship with you. I'm not worthy of it. I'm, I'm sinful and I'm shame-filled and, and guilt-ridden. And he says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. Let's get busy doing kingdom work. You know, that's really the reality. And I think that's so much of what this story really has to say to us. This is a story of some brothers, some friends, some fishermen that caught a lot more fish than they possibly could have ever imagined. But that's not really the point of the story. The point of the story is that they caught hold of a Savior that they couldn't possibly have imagined. And because of it, the life that they were able to live was one of such courage, of such profound impact. Not because they were so great. Remember? They're just inexperienced sailors in a tiny little boat with not the right nets. But they have Jesus in the boat. And the exceeding of expectations is profound. Can I say to you this morning that that same opportunity is for you and for me. Jesus says to you and me the same thing he said to them. Come and let's do kingdom work. Don't be afraid. Let's go do kingdom work. Let's go catch people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And this morning, wherever you are in your walk with Christ, I want you to hear those words profoundly echoing in your brain. Don't be afraid. Come follow me. Let's get busy. If you've never started your journey with Jesus, if you've never put him on in the waters of baptism, if you've never made him the Lord of your life, then this is the time to start. If he's been the Lord of your life for decades... What's the next step that you can take and how can we help you with that? We want you to know this morning that if we can be of service to you in any way in your walk with Jesus, we're ready to do so. We'll be right here in the back of this auditorium at the end of this service and would love to talk to you about the next step in your journey with Jesus. Let Jesus get into the boat and take your inexperienced boat that's way too small without the right equipment into the deep, dark, scary places for his good, for his good work. Let's sing together.